What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Kat Sadler, and it sure is a beautiful day. After such a bleak year, it's time for some joy, and I cannot wait for you to hear my fresh and fun new show. I crack open about mom life, relationships, wellness, and beauty, all the things. Plus, I have provocative conversations with some of the most fascinating and famous faces in pop culture. I'm here to lift you up and make you think. Check out It Sure Is a Beautiful Day with me and you every Tuesday. Welcome back to another episode of the Career Contessa podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin, and our final episode of 2022, we'll be making workplace predictions. To help, I've invited Sheila Subramanian, Vice President of Slack and co-founder of Future Forum and co-author of How the Future Works. As you can tell from her job titles, Sheila is a woman who thinks and writes a lot about the future of work. Stay tuned to hear what she thinks will be the top five workplace trends next year. And now this is the Career Contessa podcast. Hi, Sheila. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so good to be here, Lauren. Can you start by giving us a brief introduction of your background and then tell us what Future Forum is? Yes. So I am vice president and co-founder of Future Forum, as well as author of the book, How the Future Works. And a few of us came together in 2020 to co-found Future Forum when we saw organizations make bigger changes than they ever thought were possible and how their employees work. But what we were seeing, we were all Slack employees at the time, was that most organizations were simply doing the lift and shift. They were lifting existing office-based practices, reliance on meetings, and simply shifting them into people's living rooms. And I, myself, have been an advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion for for many years as, as a woman of color and someone who has struggled to fit in within organizations. I'm also a mother of two young kids. And what I was seeing was really concerning trends that showed how work was fundamentally broken for most individuals. And so we founded Future Forum as an opportunity to study how work was done, how it was impacting different populations, but ultimately to have a point of view forward in terms of how to make work work better for all employees rather than the select few. 
Yeah. I love the lift and shift. That is so true. It was like, how can we do exactly what we were doing in the office before, but we just will do it in a remote setting. So like, I expect you to be sitting at your desk nine hours a day. Cause that's what I expected. You know, when you were in an office kind of thing, just, just your desk could be your bed. I don't care. That was sort of the mentality, especially in 2020. Right. Oh yes. And then during that time, I was also like, Oh, you need to homeschool your kids and take yeah. care of your and figure out how to get groceries in a safe way. And yeah, and try to stay alive, you know, no big deal. But don't don't miss that 11 a.m. meeting. Yeah, that exactly. that was, God, those were wild times. It's, it's funny too, because like hindsight now, you're like, what were we doing, you know? And how did we survive that? But at the time, you know, you're just putting one foot in front of the other. So Future Forum just published its latest research report. And I'm so curious, what were some of those key findings, especially any like women-specific findings? Yeah. So, so what we are seeing is just an increase in stress and anxiety for executives. There are a lot of executives right now who want to return back to how things used to be. But what they're seeing from their employees is that there is a resistance to returning and there is a need to redesign how work is done. Mm-hmm. And redesigning work is not a simple like one size fits all. Let's figure this out in a day type approach. Redesigning work is active in experimentation. It's also getting feedback from employees. So what we've seen from the data is that executives are reporting 20% worse work-life balance and overall 15% decrease in their satisfaction around their jobs and their work as a whole. You know, when it comes to women, there's an increased conversation around burnout. And what we're seeing is that there's an increase in burnout globally. And the Future Forum Pulse, we we survey over 10,000 desk workers globally, and we do this quarterly. And so what we have seen from our latest research compared to May is that burnout is actually on the rise as well. And women report basically they're they're 32% more likely to say that they're burnt out than men. What we're also seeing is just that flexibility continues to be a constant quarter over quarter in terms of the desire for flexibility. And what we are seeing is that both working mothers as well as working fathers They both want flexibility. So that's actually promising to me because what we've seen is disparity in the past. And I'm hoping that all caregivers wanting flexibility will actually help eliminate the mommy track that many of us have struggled with over the past few years. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked too if, I mean, obviously that's going to be maybe a top priority for caregivers, but like I can remember getting my a job when I was in my 20s. I didn't have kids yet and they offered flexibility. And I remember really loving that. Even as like a non-caregiver, I wanted flexibility. And I don't know if it's just like the monotony of like going to an office every day kind of does get people down or it was also just like being almost like an organization basically saying, I trust you to be able to get your work done. How like there, there's like so much messaging with flexibility besides the actual flexibility that comes through. At least that was my experience. And again, I wasn't a caregiver. I didn't have kids, but like I was able to do my laundry and do errands. And like, to be honest, just not to have to get showered and commute, especially like I live in Los Angeles. That was a huge win. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if even the non-caregivers are like, yes, yes, yes. to flexibility, right? Yes. And you know, I think, I think it's important for us to acknowledge like Flexibility and our conversation about flexibility has changed over the last few years. Yeah, that's true. Now, I think I think prior to the pandemic, if you worked a, a desk job, it was oftentimes like, I get to work from home one day a week. Like my job is flexible. I can wear jeans on Friday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now we're increasingly talking about flexibility in terms of trust and transparency. What we're seeing is that employees want to be trusted 
And, and I think that there's a really great quote from the CHRO of Spotify, Katerina Berg. And she says, if you hire adults and treat them like children, this whole thing is going to backfire. And I would argue that the nine to five, five days a week, the monitoring that many middle managers had to do, that was treating a lot of us like kids. And now after two and a half years or almost three years, people want to be treated like adults. And if they're not trusted and they're not being treated that way, they're willing to walk and, and find a job elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of middle managers, one more thing from your survey that I found really interesting was the decline of middle managers. And (laughs) my main takeaway was that middle managers, which are a lot of times women, just seem miserable. And maybe this is definitely a burnout thing, but like in addition to the burnout, what else is the middle? what, What else is the issue happening with middle management right now? Yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge that 43% of middle managers globally report feeling burned out. 43%. That's nearly half. And that's because so many managers have not actually been trained to lead distributed teams. I remember, you know, management training early in my career, it was like, how do you, how do you gatekeep? How do you unblock challenges for people? And so much of it was like checking when people showed up at the office and left the office. And now management is about empathy. It's about trust. It's about coaching. And if you haven't necessarily been trained that way, or you don't have the skills to embrace this new way of leading and managing, you don't necessarily know how to do your jobs. So that's one element of it. The second is there are a lot of like, you know, return back to how things used to be, RTO, return to office policies, that middle managers have been forced to translate. So executives are saying, we're assuming that one si- work is one size fits all. Let's bring everyone back into the office five days a week. Whereas employees are saying, we don't want that. And middle managers have been put in this position where they're trying to interpret these policies and also manage a team that's resistant to it. And they don't necessarily feel like they have power or say in in what impacts their teams. Yeah. It's like, okay, I want you to implement this rule and be kind of the bad guy or the face of the rule, but you don't have any power to control the rule or to make up a different rule or change the rules or anything like that. And yeah, if I were a middle manager right now, I'd probably feel sandwiched in between. And and it feels like also like they can't win, right? Like either the executives are upset with them because they're not doing X, Y, Z, or the employees are upset with them. And I don't know how you have felt, but like, I feel like over the last few years, there's been a huge popularity in like, like just having a toxic boss, but like being mad at your boss and like talking about it. Like there's all these memes on Instagram or like screenshots. And it's like, being a boss is so hard. And I'm also not shocked that maybe middle managers are like, I don't want this job because it feels like a no win here. And and I don't think that the popularity or the rise and sort of like pointing finger at the quote unquote toxic boss, which again, everything seems to be toxic. That's not helping, right? Yeah. I think there's a broader conversation that we need to have in terms of career trajectories as well. You know, yeah. in so many organizations, if you are a superstar, you're doing your job yeah. really well as an individual contributor. Now we're going to have you do your job as an individual contributor and you're going to manage. Yes. And there's not that step in between of having a conversation of, do you want to do this? Yeah. Do you want to have one-on-ones every week? Do you want to be able to check? Like, do you want to check in on your team? Do you want to also manage people who may not necessarily agree with you? Like, are you equipped for that? Are you excited by that? And, and so it's ultimately like, oh, you're, you're a superstar. So you manage people. Why can't we better explore a track of, superstar ICs, where people feel like they're continuing to grow and be invested in the organization, but they're not necessarily forced to take a track that they're either don't want to do, they're not equipped to do, or ultimately like they're not skilled 
to do. And and that's okay to have that conversation. And I don't I, I feel like most companies at this point are not there where they're they're saying, okay, if you want to be an IC, go for it. We'll figure out a path for you. We have a plan. I think in many ways it's like you need to manage or you need to stay stagnant in your career. And yeah. that's not a most people or the people that they're leading. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And just in case you're listening, you're like, what's an IC? Independent contributor versus a manager where you have to manage people. Okay. So speaking of the future, you're going to share five workplace predictions for 2023 and what they mean for people's careers. So what is your first prediction? We talked a bit about trust and transparency earlier. My first prediction is that trust and transparency is going to be a hallmark of leadership and if employees don't feel like they're getting it, they were they're willing to walk. Mm-hmm. For those who are listening and wondering what trust and transparency is, it's not just, you know, like putting all your information on the table. That's not what transparency is. Rather, it's being able to say, I don't know. We're still figuring it out. Or even I need your help. Because what we are seeing right now is that two-thirds of execs are not actually including their broader organization or people outside of the executive room when it comes to determining future of work policies. So I think that trust, transparency, and also bringing people into the conversation is going to be a hallmark for leadership, good leadership next Mm -hmm. year. Yeah, I love that. Okay, prediction number two. So prediction number two is that the role of the office has changed. Now, being flexible, being distributed does not mean that the office is dead. Rather, its role has fundamentally shifted. And what we see from our research is that three-fourths of people who want to come back into the office periodically want to do so to foster connection, camaraderie, and to collaborate with our teammates. And so this next year, what we'll see is more and more offices becoming that hub for building trust and connection rather than the place where you put your headphones on and do solo-focused work. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of like when you lived in the dorm and you had like your specific dorm, but then you had that one meeting space, which now, of course, I can't remember the name of it, where like that was where you would socialize. You would sit on the couch. But like if you actually had work to do, it was like very obvious, like don't sit in this area because everyone's going to talk to you, you know? Yeah. It was the lounge where I went. Yeah, the lounge. Yeah, the student lounge. All right. What's your third prediction? So my third prediction is that leaders who invest in digital tools are going to continue to have stronger culture and connection within their organization. And when I say digital tools, it's not just about, you know, video conferencing or, you know, things to help you work. It's also tools that will help build collaboration and sense of belonging. What we've seen from our research quarter over quarter is that those who invest in digital tools their employees feel two times higher sense of belonging as well as productivity relative to organizations that don't. Mm-hmm. So the investment in digital tools will continue to increase, but it's beyond just day-to-day work and more about fostering connection and belonging. What's an example of a digital tool that does that? Because I, I think by now, a lot of people have probably used, you know, they've got their messaging tool, you know, Slack, Microsoft Teams, whatever it is that their their company uses. But like, what is, what's a tool that fosters that connection above just like the messaging piece? So a tool that I love that we use in Slack is called Donut. And Donut essentially fosters serendipitous connections. As an example, if I'm in a specific channel about dogs or parenting, and Donut can basically pair me with somebody else who is a dog owner or a fellow parent. And we have a 30-minute agenda-free conversation. And what I have found is that I have actually connected with more people within my organization using Donut than I otherwise would if I were in the office, sitting with my team, or riding the elevator. 
And so I have found that these serendipitous conversations that really don't have an agenda have helped me build relationships outside of my immediate team. I love that. One of my favorite Slack tools, by the way, is Huddle. So oh, yeah. for the, for those of you that don't use Slack, so basically, you know, you, you can be in these Slack channels and message, but you can have a huddle, quote unquote, a huddle with someone that you... So instead of typing up your messages back and forth, you guys can... I guess you're like talking to each other, but there's no, I don't have to look at you. You know, I don't have to be on screen. My team and I do this all the time. And it's so nice because sometimes you're like, I just need to explain this to you versus having to type something up. And there's a little bit of a fatigue with having to type everything now. Whereas like back in the day, I would type my emails, but I would talk in a conversation. And now I get to go back to having that again. And I didn't realize how fatiguing it is to like type up a like talking conversation. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden you're like, too much of my time is in typing and I need, I need to go back to a little bit of like, hear your voice, like hear your tone of voice or, you know, your inflection or something like that. You know, I kind of miss that part for sure. Okay. Yeah. And what, what is your fourth connection or sorry, so, fourth prediction, fourth prediction and connection. Okay. So yeah. fourth prediction is that we'll finally put the nail, we'll put the nail in the coffin of the nine to five, five days a week. We're seeing a lot of resistance in the market against the nine to five and the five days a week. But what we've seen quarter over quarter from our data is that yes, people want flexibility in where they work, but a whopping 94% want flexibility in when they work. And this is not, this does not mean that we have a free for all and people can work whenever they want, but I think there's going to be a lot more structure around asynchronous work and more flexibility in terms of when people work so that they can live richer, fuller lives and be solid employees. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think we're going to continue to further conversation around flexibility and move away from the notion that a good employee needs to work five days a week from nine to five. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I hope that goes away. I really do. Because especially now that I'm a parent, I'm like, the nine to five was truly not designed for parents because every school does not run on a nine to five schedule. So even more to your point of like why we should have that flexibility is people should be able to decide when they work best. You know, somebody might be that night out after they put their kids to bed versus trying to do something at four o'clock when they're like, this is the worst hour of my day, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So I'm with you. I really hope that one comes true. Okay. And your fifth and final prediction. My fifth and final prediction would be that leaders tackle proximity bias head on. Proximity bias is favoritism towards those who are located nearby, this case in the office. Proximity bias has always been around in the corporate world. Like you're the first in and last to leave, that means you're a good employee. You're the quickest to respond to a message, that means you're a good employee. But what we're seeing is that those who prefer flexibility tend to be women, employees of color, working parents, caregivers, whereas those who want to go back in the office five days a week tend to be men, they tend to be white employees, as well as executives. So we see this challenge forming in terms of how proximity bias could potentially impact the careers of many. So my prediction is that in this coming year, leaders are going to name proximity bias. And when it comes to performance reviews or promotions, they're going to focus on outcomes rather than the number of days that someone spends in the office or the number of hours that they see them every week. How do you think companies, so for example, if you're an employee and you feel like your boss has that bias, how can you address it? Or how, because I feel like, yes, we want the leaders to be the ones who sort of lead that, you know, tackling that. But what if they just don't see it or maybe they ignore it and you as an employer, like, oh, you totally do this. And how can I bring that up to you? Yeah, I think there's a broader conversation in terms of what kind of outcomes are you, the employer, responsible for? 
What kind of outcomes is your team responsible for? And what does good look like? One thing we haven't talked about are team level agreements where teams come together and they say, hey, this is how we want to work together. These are our core team work hours. These are the expectations in terms of response time. And this is ultimately what we're accountable for. And so I can then have a conversation and say, this is our team level agreement. This is what I'm accountable for. And I have exceeded those targets. I, you know, I deserve to be promoted or I deserve to be up for promotion this, this round. By shifting the conversation to outcomes rather than activity, I work 12 hours a day. I sacrifice my health and time with my family to show that I'm a good employee. You're going to have a happier employee and you're going to have a diverse, a more diverse set of managers. You're going to have a more diverse team that wants to stick around and be a part of the organization. Yeah, absolutely. It used to be that badge of honor if you worked the 12 hours a day, like right productivity was your badge of honor. I'm busy, busy, busy. And I'm hoping the badge of honor pretty soon is going to be about outcomes. It's interesting. We do a lot of work with people who are rewriting a resume or writing their resume. They want a job search. And I ask them, what are your top accomplishments in a job? It is so hard for people to think about outcomes and accomplishments because they are so used to being able to talk about their busyness or, you know, all the different things they're, you know, they're juggling or multitasking. And it's like, but what are you accomplishing? What is the outcome that you're getting to at the end of the day? I also really like your note about like team agreements. One of the things I've noticed that really actually works well for teams to your point earlier about treating them like adults, but they need structure. People need very clear structure. So like sitting down and understanding best ways to communicate, when to communicate when X, Y, Z happens. For example, like, do you need to let everybody know that you're out sick or just that one person? That's like a small example, but you brought up some really good points about team agreements of what are our core working hours? What are our expectations? I truly think part of what happens that makes people kind of miserable at work too is either there aren't clear expectations or the expectations are shifting. So I love your point about like talking about them and having them even written down somewhere maybe. Yeah. So in our book, How the Future Works, we have a template for team level agreements. And I advise managers, but also team members to take a look and bring this to their team. Because this is actually the the most fulfilling exercise for me as a manager is every quarter we update it. And I get to hear from the team on what's working and what's not. And it's actually breeding psychological safety. Because we've gotten to the point, you know, where people are like, hey, these core team work hours, they're actually not working for me. Or we haven't really had the conversation of the fact that we're all lonely and we want to have like more intentionality in terms of when we're getting together. So I found like the most genuine conversations we have oftentimes center around these team level agreements. I love that. That I mean, that alone could be its own podcast episode too, is like, how do you do these? Because to your earlier point too about managers, it's so hard to be a manager and very, very oftentimes the leadership training isn't really actually good leadership or management training. And this is the kind of stuff that people need. So we'll link to your book in the show notes, but, and also to future forum. And you know, the other thing I really like about your guys' surveys, you do it every quarter, which you also just mentioned for your team stuff. I think too many things in the workplace are done on an annual basis. And I really like this quarter basis. I think it's enough time for things to actually happen you know, get feedback, see if it's working, not working, but not so much time that people forget. Like I'm, I'm all about like the quarter check-in as like your overall timeline for most things I think is, it's kind of a better cadence for work. What do you think? Yes, I agree. You know, I think that for team agreements quarterly has been great in terms of like even conversations of how we're working. What we have found was that early in the pandemic, we were having those Weekly. Yeah, daily. Right? <laughs> yeah. And then you've been able to extend it out. So I, I find that quarterly is a good cadence for, for many of these exercises. But I'd love to hear from the team in terms of, hey, 
Do we need to do things more frequently or less frequently? And I think that's a big, big change in terms of management. Rather than having all the answers, actually asking for feedback is is a big shift. Yeah. Well, Sheila, thank you so much for these predictions. And so tell everyone where they can find you, find the survey, if they want to connect all the links, all the all the good stuff. Yes. So you can find more about me on LinkedIn. And then in terms of the survey, futureforum.com, we have all of our quarterly releases, all published there, including the latest, as well as a blog filled with insights and playbooks from our book. And I'm also the author of How the Future Works, which you can buy at your local bookstore or on Amazon. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our final episode of 2022. If you'd like to support our show, we would love it if you could rate and review our podcast and even subscribe. It helps so much. And a big thank you to Sheila for taking the time out to give us her predictions. And lastly, we're wishing you all a happy and healthy new year. And to make sure your year starts off on the right track, we're not missing a beat or episode. So you can expect another new episode of the Career Contessa podcast on Tuesday, January 4th. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.